Isaiah chapter number 6, and as we're turning there tonight, I wanted to mention that um, Brother uh, Chris and uh, Miss Lauren and Jason, uh, many of you wrote notes to them, uh, just letting, you know, letting them know that you were thinking about them, praying for them, and uh, I appreciate you doing that, and uh, every one of them what I did was I, I asked either their parents or maybe their siblings or Chris's wife, uh, what are some of the favorite maybe snacks or whatever that, uh, that they enjoy? And of course, like Chris, he, he can't get out to stores like, uh, like you and I just, as the missionary said, take for granted. So I found out what some of their favorite things were and then I went shopping and we put together a, a goodies box, uh, and we put those notes in there from you, and uh, of course gave them some goodies. Brother, uh, our Lauren got hers. Her birthday uh, actually was a, about the time that I mailed the package off, so she ended up with it a little bit later than her birthday, but she was very excited to get it. Jason, Jason had laid out all the stuff. He took pictures of it and sent it, sent pictures back to me. Uh, all the stuff, and of course, everything that Jason likes is, is all the flaming hot uh, chips and, and all the uh, sour stuff that makes your mouth uh, whatever color and burns your tongue off or whatever. And, uh, and Brother Chris was uh, like, uh, what was it, pistachios and uh, beef jerkies and, and all those manly things uh, Chris wanted. And, uh, and Brother Chris said, Brother Chris said, make sure you tell the church how much I appreciated those notes. He said they came at a time that I really needed it. And, uh, you know, six months is a long time to be away from your, your wife and, and children. And then the, the COVID thing stretched the six months into eight and a half. Um, and so it's, it's been a long road. Uh, but uh, I will tell you that Brother Chris, his last big test was this past Thursday and he passed it, so he's completely uh, done. They, they gave him his uniforms. Um, I don't know what he's doing now. I guess he's just uh, sipping sweet tea, waiting to graduate, or I don't know what, what they do, Rogan, when they get to this point, but um, we're praying for Andrew. Andrew's going to get started the 28th, 23rd, something like that, uh, and so Andrew's got, I think it's just like five and a half months or something like that six months, and so uh, he, he won't be graduating until, what, April, something like that, so we'll get together, we'll get together a, a, a package for Andrew, uh, he seems to be enjoying himself right now, it seems like, he, he's able to talk to Chelsea and his mom and dad, and I don't know if they'll take his phone away once he goes back to training or whatever they're going to do, but uh, I talked with him just a little bit, but he's doing well. And we want to pray for all of our young people as they're, as they're following what the Lord would have for them. And so tonight, here we are in Isaiah. And I love this passage that we'll look at tonight. And the Lord led me to this thought because I think a lot of times it seems like in our lives, we, we think this way, we feel this way, where it seems like God's absent. Uh, I had a lady that I was talking to this morning. She's been attending here. And uh, she's praying about becoming a member of our church. And, uh, and, and we were talking, and, and she was talking about this very thing where she, you know, so many people think, you know, it's, 
uh, that, that people who are doing wrong and people that are doing evil, that they're getting away with things. And I told her, I said, the truth is nobody's getting away with anything. I said, God knows what's going on. And I told her, I said, it's, it's not our responsibility. The Bible says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And the Bible tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. I said, that's not our responsibility, it's not our job, but we know this, God is sovereign, God knows what's going on, God's in control, and, uh, but there are times in our lives where it seems that God's absent, and that's uh, what we'll look at here out of Isaiah chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. That's a big train. Filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And the word twain is two. So he had six wings. Verse 3, and one cried unto another and said, what's those next three words? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice King is capital K. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thine lips, thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Many times this passage is looked at, it's preached on when it comes time for missions conference, when it comes time to focus on reaching the world, but the reality is, is it's a Greater opportunity for all of us to say, and God doesn't call everyone to go to Botswana or Uganda. But I wonder how many of us would gladly, willingly say to the Lord, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Here am I. Lord, send me. I'm available. God, whatever you want. But as you look at this passage, you can't help but think, just like 
many times in our lives, we have seasons where we wonder, where is God? It seems like we get to the point in our life where we, we think to ourselves, where's God? God seems to have, and he hasn't, but he seems to have maybe vacated his throne. Maybe God to you in your life seems absent from you. Years ago when I was happy serving the Lord with my wife in the local church, God called me into full-time ministry. God doesn't call everyone into full-time ministry. I do believe he wants every Christian to be a full-time Christian. But God wanted me to prepare my heart, prepare my mind so that I could minister to people, and certainly I knew I needed it. And so I made plans, as the Lord led, to go off to Bible college. I remember when the day came, how we sold our home and we packed up everything we had. I remember that I had to leave my wife there for a time, and so I left and I headed off with a with a, uh, a rider uh, truck full of our, our belongings and headed for the state of Tennessee. We had the only thing we really had besides our possessions, as far as this world is concerned, is the little bit of equity that we had in the house that we had built. And of course, when we sold it, we had that. But there came a time in our, our endeavors down there in Tennessee as I was preparing for ministry where I had used up or we had used up all of our resources. I was just enjoying things and God was blessing and I was actually passing classes, which was amazing. I was loving every minute of it. I remember the day that I came home. I walked in the door and my wife, she had this funny look on her face, a very concerned look, and the statement she made to me was, I just wrote the last check today. And I said to her, I said, well, just order some more. Some of you that are laughing understand what I didn't understand. He was basically saying all the money is gone. We tried for months, months, many months. I had construction background in many different areas of construction. My wife had started in banking at the lowest uh, position of a teller, worked her way up to a vice president in a bank. I mean, certainly we had qualifications. It wasn't just like it was such a specialized thing either one of us did that we really thought getting a job would be no problem. But it was. It just seemed like God was absent. Like God had just left us. God didn't know about the state of Tennessee where we were. We tried and tried to find work, but we couldn't. When times like this happen, and maybe it didn't happen that way for you, or maybe it hasn't happened yet, but maybe it will happen. One thing that will help us, and it helped my wife and I, 
is that when it seems like the Lord is absent in your life, you and I need to remember that our Savior has already been there. Look in your notes or in your Bible this evening, Psalm 22, and this is the first of three consecutive psalms, Psalm 22, 23, 24. But in Psalm 22, notice as Jesus helps us to understand what he had already gone through. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I remind you this is long before the cross? This is Old Testament. This is the book of Psalms. Jesus has not even come into this world as the incarnate Son of God yet. But yet God in his wisdom gives us Psalm 22 where the psalmist says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a, as, a, as, a, as a ravening and as a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The Savior has been there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when I look at Isaiah 6, I have to believe from the wording that we see from God through the prophet that just like Jesus had been there I believe in Isaiah 6 that Isaiah is there. Isaiah is realized, according to history, that the king, the Bible says in verse number 1, that in the days that Uzziah died, the king died. The nation is now without leadership. Do you know that sometimes you can have a leader, but you don't have leadership? I think that's happening in our nation. In the days of Isaiah, the nation, their nation without leadership and now without the king, 
it was vulnerable to the enemies. Isaiah the prophet is crying out here in chapter 6 to God, and he's literally saying, Lord, where are you? I don't understand why this is happening, why this is going on. We are going to do as a people, listen, not only Israel, but even in America, we're going to do what we want to do. And can I tell you unequivocally tonight, we need help desperately. The Bible promises, and I love this, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a promise we have. Because the Bible says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. It's all about us. It's not about God. We need help. We're prone, as the songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like the church in the book of Revelation, we've left our first love. See, when God seems to be missing in our lives, Isaiah here, as he writes, he kind of identifies three things that you and I need to take the time to do if we are going to see God. When God seems like he's missing in our lives, notice, first of all, we need to take time to be holy. Now, this matter of holiness, can I just tell you tonight as a Christian, don't shy away from this. I think we've allowed what is, and you may not be familiar with it, but years ago there was, and it still exists, is this holiness movement. I don't think holiness is about a movement, it's about a God. And we need to take time to be a holy people. Holiness is something that we need to understand. Look at the Bible says again in verse number three, as Isaiah said, and you read it earlier, one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy. Holy is the qualifying word for everything God is. You know, there are many attributes of God. God is love. God is eternal. God is just. But the one attribute that all of the other attributes flow from is the holiness of God. You see, holy means, literally means to cut or to separate. It's like, it's like this. I know sometimes when Brother Kenny, you want to get Brother Kenny excited, you start talking about meat. Well, Kenny starts talking about, Pastor, this is, this is a good cut of meat, but this right here, this is a better cut of meat. And a lot of times, I'm, I try to be smart and say, I believe you, Kenny. There's a difference. Do you know there's a difference in our God? 
and he's a cut above. See, I really believe when you study the Bible, this isn't preached on much in these days because it's not popular. But the Bible teaches biblical separation. So people don't like that. You know why? Because we want to live the life that we want to live, and if we are going to live a life that is separate, then it might infringe on some of the things that we want to do. But it doesn't change the fact that God is a holy God. Notice he is, letter A, a holy God. God's love is a holy love. God's justice and God's mercy and God's righteousness are holy. Everything about God is holy. I love what uh, R.C. Sproul said, and I think you have it there in your notes. The Bible, and you read it, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says God is love, love, love. The Bible never says that God is mercy, 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 or God is wrath, 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 or God is justice, 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 but it does say God is holy, holy, holy. He's a thrice holy God. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, when the Bible calls God holy, the Bible is really helping us to understand that God is so far above and beyond us. God is a holy God, and he has given us a holy Bible. Folks, listen, that's not a book you have in your hand, that's God's word. People treat the Bible, that's one of the problems that often is encountered in a Bible college is the Bible becomes another textbook. May we never treat it that way. The Bible is far above and beyond any other book. No book will ever compare to the Word of God. You find the Mormons, the Mormons have the Bible, yes, but they have the Book of Mormon, and they treat the Book of Mormon just as, as much as they treat the Bible. There is no book like the Bible. Matter of fact, when you study it, even to this very day, it is still the best-selling book of all times, 3.9 billion billion copies of the Word of God have been sold over the last 50 years. You know why? Because the Bible says in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Folks, listen, there is nothing, no book you ever read will do anything for your life the way the Bible will. You see, we have a holy God who's given us a holy Bible. And on top of that, he's given us his Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life? The Holy Spirit guiding you? The Holy Spirit sealing you? The Holy Spirit convicting you? 
the Holy Spirit helping you, comforting you. Hey, listen, the Holy Spirit of God, as Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place, but he says, I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I will send one just like me, and he shall speak of me. The Holy Spirit helps us, reminds us about the Lord Jesus. Hey, listen, the Holy Spirit is God. And I love the fact that God, who is holy, has given us a holy Bible and a holy spirit. That's why the Bible tells us in Exodus 15, 11, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? Psalm 99, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. The Bible says, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art only holy. I want to remind you tonight, listen, can I tell you that holy and unholy do not exist together. They do not mix. Righteousness and unrighteousness do not get along. Take your Bible, hold your place here. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 tonight. Turn your Bibles, turn your Bibles. Let me hear the pages. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 14. Notice here, we're talking about a holy God. We're talking about the world we live in today. And notice the Bible says in verse number 14, but it says, be ye not, notice, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord has Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, wherefore God says, not the preacher, God says, come out from among them, and be ye separate, be ye holy, is what he's saying to us. He says, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, I'm a holy God, and God and sin cannot get along. Look, that's one thing you're going to enjoy about heaven is there's no sin in heaven. Because God is there. See, God is a holy God and God wants us to understand that when it comes to this matter of holiness, that we need to separate ourselves. That's why our God, our Heavenly Father, helps us to understand this matter of separation and holiness in our lives. And the Word of God helps us to understand there's a standard, a biblical standard. There are convictions that help us to live a life separate, to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And the Holy Spirit of God is a Holy Spirit that helps us to understand that God doesn't want us to live a life of sin. God wants us to be a separated people. Listen, as we listen tonight to this message and we look at Isaiah chapter number 6, if we want God's presence in our lives and we want God's power and His provision and God's protection, then we have got to separate ourselves to be a holy people. So listen, 
Look what the Bible says in Leviticus 11, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, and ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. That passage that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, when you get to the end of that chapter and you go to the very next chapter, chapter 7 and verse 1, Notice how the Bible continues, having therefore these promises, what we just read, the Bible says, dearly beloved, this is speaking to Christians, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and notice the phrase here, perfecting holiness, the Bible says in the fear of God. What does it mean to perfect holiness? It means to fulfill it further, to execute it, to perform it. In other words, God says, come out from among them, separate yourselves, be a holy people. I know this isn't popular in the day that we live in, but God is a holy God and God says, I am holy, therefore be ye holy. The reason that in our lives, why it seems God is absent is because we're not a holy people. God says, I want you to separate yourselves. Our lives, yes, we spend our lives perfecting a lot of things. Those men that sang that song, and I love it, I love to hear men sing for the Lord. Listen, they didn't just get up here in the choir loft and just open it up and let her fly. They practiced. They spent time. Somebody sits down on the piano and plays a song on the piano. They don't just sit down and start tickling the ivories. They've perfected it. You think about people that play sports. You think about, you see a basketball player making a shot from three-point land, and you think, wow, what a lucky shot. He's taken 600,000 shots. That's how he can make that one shot. He has spent time perfecting the game. Hey, listen, how's your life tonight as a Christian? Are you working to perfect holiness? Because that's what the Bible tells us. Perfecting holiness. Well, how do you do that? To cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Our lives should be spent perfecting holiness. Titus chapter 2, look at it. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God's grace, and notice what the grace of God teaches us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that you and I, who should be a holy people because we have a holy God, the Bible says that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when? When we get to heaven, what does it say? In this present world. God says right now. You know why people don't see the Lord? Because we, who are God's people, are not living a holy life. America is not interested in living a holy life. And we wonder why God seems absent. Because we are not, as it says there in Titus, we are not denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We are not living soberly, we're not living righteously, we're not living godly in this present world. And God says that we are to be a holy people in this present world. Times have changed, certainly. Culture is not the same. But in spite of all that, 
God is still holy and God still wants us, his people, to be a holy people. Notice what Peter writes. He says, as what kind of children? What kind? Obedient, obedient children. Now watch this. If you're an obedient child of God, look what the Bible says. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. See, you didn't know it before. But now that you're saved and now that God's grace has been working in your life, you cannot claim ignorance anymore. He says, you didn't have knowledge of it, but watch this. But as he which hath called you is what? Holy. So be ye holy. How? In all manner. And the word conversation is not talking about us talking to one another. It's about our lifestyle, how we live. He says everything about your life, the way you live, the way you behave, the way you act when you go to work, the way you are in your home. Look at it again. He says, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. See, when God seems like he is absent, it's because we are not taking time to be holy, perfecting holiness in our lives. Notice also that when God seems absent, it's because we need to take time and we're not to be humble. Go back to our passage in Isaiah 6 and verse number 5 and notice what Isaiah says here. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Boy, admission. The prophet admits the kind of individual he is. By the way, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. Every last one of us. He says, woe is me. See, Isaiah, at, at the beginning of this chapter, just as we read it, he saw God's holiness. Again, when you look at it, the, the King Uzziah died, and he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah saw God's holiness and his response to the holiness of God was humility. Watch this. As we see God for who he is, we'll see ourselves for who we are. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Isaiah saw the Lord. In Isaiah 66, in verse number 2, the Bible says, For all those things which mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Did you hear what the prophet said there? I don't know about you, but I want 
I need God to bless my life. I desire God's favor. I want to be blessed of the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 138, verse number 6, Though the Lord is be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Notice again, the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly. We usually in our lives, you know who we respect? Those that are higher up than us. There's no one higher than God. No one. I mean, you look at that verse there, who is it that the Lord looks up to? I mean, though the Lord, thou the Lord be high. I mean, you know who the Lord looks up to? It's, we just read it there. The Lord looks up to the humble. Look back in Isaiah 66, verse number 2. He says, but to this man will I look. God says, this is the person that I will look to. And then he explains who that individual is. Him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. Boy, nowadays there's no fear of God in people's hearts. People just live however they want. There's no fear of the Lord. There's no reverential awe. But yet God says, I will look to the, the person that is humble. Peter said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Proverbs 29, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor a riches, uh, honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Years ago, John Bunyan, he wrote these words, He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. God, the Bible says here, God will uphold the humble in spirit. When Hudson Taylor, years ago, <clears throat> he was asked by someone if he was ever tempted to be proud. This is the great missionary Hudson Taylor. He was asked, have you ever been tempted? And he said this, he says, proud about what? The person that asked him said, well, proud about all the things that you have done. To which Hudson responded, I never knew I had done anything. There was no pride there in Taylor's life. He was a man that really exhibited humility in his life. And when I think of our country tonight, I think of America tonight. You know what America needs is a good dose of humility. I think about what is the answer. Well, the Bible tells it this way. It says that judgment needs to begin at the house of God. Just like Isaiah, we need to humble ourselves. We need to be a holy people. And because we're not, God seems absent. God also seems absent, I, I believe with all my heart, as Isaiah is helping us to understand, because we're not a humble people. But then notice, sometimes God seems absent because we haven't taken time for the harvest. You think about what was important to Jesus when he came. When Jesus left heaven, and of course I know that he came to give his life so that everyone that believes on him would have eternal life. Aren't you glad for that tonight? 
But as Jesus was on this earth, the Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when Jesus was about to ascend to be back with the Father, his last command to us, the church, by the way, it hasn't changed in all these years, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. His last command should be our first priority. Why go out on Saturdays? Why carry gospel tracts? Why have a missions conference? Why support missionaries? Because it's the heart of God. See, sometimes God seems absent because instead of thinking about the lost, instead of thinking about those in the world that if they perish without Christ, they will spend eternity without Him. We're so consumed with ourselves because we're not humble. We're not a holy people. Peter said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, aren't you glad for that, to usward, not willing. God is not willing that any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many people do, does God want to be saved? Everyone. There are people today that say there's only a select group of people, only the elect. And understand the word of God. The Bible goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. See, when God seems absent, you know what we need to do? Grab a handful of gospel tracts and go talk to people about the Lord. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when we go out, I don't feel like going out. Say, Pastor. Yeah, the flesh. Sometimes I don't have the right attitude. I'll get in the car, I'll get in the church van, and as we're heading there, uh, sometimes without anybody knowing, I'll be, I'll be having a conversation. Nobody can hear it because uh, it's just between me and the Lord, but I'll be having a conversation with the Lord about getting my heart right before I get to the first door. When God seems absent, we need to start talking to people about the Lord. When God seems absent, we need to get back to the harvest. See, there's going to come a day where it's going to be too late. The Lord's going to come back, and the opportunity for people to be saved will be taken away. But God gives us the opportunity right now that we might see people saved. And I know even in our church, and there haven't been many people, but there have been some in our church who have asked me over the last month or two, Pastor, when are we going to get back to going out? Praise God for those people. That tells me they have a heart for souls, that they realize there are people that need to be saved. I was talking to another pastor and seems to be one of the conversations among preachers this day is, and again, it's because of the, the whole COVID mess and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of pastors will say to another one, hey, are you, are you going out? Are you knocking doors? Are you talking to people about the Lord? I said, well, we're just taking it one step at a time, but I said, we are going out. We are giving out the good news. I'm praying that maybe in the next month or so, maybe we can actually start knocking on doors, start talking to people. Listen, if you've never done that, we'll help you. 
I remember what it was like when I first started going out years ago. I was scared to death. I was glad that my pastor's son said, hey, why don't you go with me? And for six months, I went out with Gary DeBose. I was the best silent partner there ever was. I said, Pastor, you don't seem like somebody that just doesn't say anything. Well, when you don't know anything, you don't say anything because you don't have anything to say. I just listened to him. I saw him share the love of God with people. I saw people's hearts being changed by the word of God. I learned how to talk to people about the Lord. I love in the Bible, remember the passage where Jesus and his family and, of course, all of his relatives and the Bible describes how they all went into the city of Jerusalem, which was a pretty common thing at least once a year. They traveled in and Jesus was 12 years old. They go into the city and they took care of business, did what they needed to, and they were, they were coming back away from the city. They get about a day's journey and all of a sudden, I don't know if it was Joseph to Mary or Mary to Joseph, said, hey, where's Jesus? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen him. What do you mean you haven't seen him? Well, he was, he was with us, and surely he's got to be, and I don't, I don't know how many people were traveling with him. I don't know how many cousins and how many aunts and uncles. I, I, I have no idea, but there were, undoubtedly was quite a few people, and they started to look through everybody and couldn't find him anywhere. Now, if that had been me, when my daddy found me, that had been the end. But they had traveled a day, so they had to travel a day back. Now again, traveling a day on foot, if my daddy would have found me after traveling two days on foot. So they find Jesus, and they're, they're like, son, son, don't you understand how worried we are? You know, sometimes we read the Bible, and by the way, I believe in the inspiration of every word in the Bible, but you know what's missing many times when we read the words? The emotions. Can you imagine parents who thought they lost their son? Son, don't you know how much, how worried we were? Do you remember what he said to them? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? You've missed it. The whole reason I came to this earth was not to spend time with you. I love you. But I came that people could hear the truth. That their lives could be changed. Folks, listen. The reason sometimes God seems absent in our lives is because we haven't taken time for the harvest. What was important to Jesus was the souls. He was hanging on the cross in utter pain. And he's having a conversation, a soul-winning call from one cross to the other. Lord, remember me when thou goest into paradise this day 
Thou shalt be with me in paradise. To his last breath, he looked down, he saw his mother. He saw his beloved disciple. And he tried to make sure that his mother was going to be taken care of. He cared about others. Do you care about others? Jesus cared about the harvest. He came to bring salvation to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. But listen, in our lives, many times it just seems like God is absent from our lives. Certainly, you look at America, it seems like God is absent from America. Sometimes we can't see God. Sometimes we can't hear God. Sometimes God seems so far off from us. But can I help you tonight to understand that God is still there? And if we want God's presence in our lives, we have got to take time to be a holy people, to be a humble people, and a people that take time for the harvest. So very important that we understand this. When I was telling you earlier about Bible college and how we were there and we had spent all that we had. My wife, she was sitting there on the couch. My wife's a very faith-filled woman of God. And because of her background, she's looking at the figures. She's looking at the zeros. I sat down next to my wife, and I'm not going to say that I'm some spiritual giant, because I'm not. But for about 10 seconds, I didn't know what to say, and then I really believe the Holy Spirit gave me this thought that I shared with my wife. I took her by the hand, and I said to her, God did not lead us here to forsake us. I don't know how. But God will provide. All those job interviews that we had had, all those people we had talked to about jobs. My wife got a phone call from a man that she had interviewed with about three months before that. And the man says, well, I, 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 wanna, I want you to come in because I want to talk salary with you. And she said, you mean you want to interview me? He goes, no, I want to talk salary with you. My wife got a job. Then God began to give me work. And it was kind of funny, the work God ended up giving me because I've told the story before. Instead of, instead of getting paid for a job, the man gave me an entire cow that was processed. We had all the beef we could eat. Do you know that through those last two years of Bible college, God met every need we had. My children, one of them's here tonight, they were all attending the Christian school. We ne never missed a payment. I was able to pay my college bill. We were able to have food to eat, clothes to wear, because God is faithful. 
God wasn't absent in our lives. And if you and I are going to see God, the only way that's going to happen is you and I need to perfect holiness. Maybe tonight in your life, God's trying to get you to look beyond yourself to the fields. People need the Lord. When I thought of this passage from Isaiah 6 about the fact that we need to be a holy people and a humble people and a people concerned about the harvest, it brought me to a very familiar verse, and I want you to see it there in your notes, where the Bible says, if, and that's a conditional word, if my people, you know, God doesn't force us to do anything, does he? God's given us a free will. Now, God wants us to be obedient. But he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves. And notice, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. You know what that is? Live a holy life. God says, if they just humble themselves, if they just live a life separate from the world, turn from their wicked ways, then God says this, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know what that is? That's the harvest. God's going to heal the land. God's going to save the lost. But see, the world cannot see God because we are not living a holy life. God says, I'm holy. Because I'm holy, therefore be ye holy. You bow your heads with me tonight. As a matter of fact, let's stand to our feet. I wonder tonight on this Sunday evening, we'll just take a moment of invitation. But maybe in your heart, God has spoken to you tonight about this matter of holiness, humility the harvest. Why don't you come on a Sunday night, spend a little time with the Lord. Whatever the area is in your life, or maybe you know someone that you need to come and pray for. But you know, as Christians, we need to live a holy life. A life that's separate from this world. We can't change, we can't change what's going on but God can and God can use your life and he can use my life as a testimony to those around us I pray for you because many of you work with and live around some very ungodly people and there's, listen, there's always going to be the pull to just be like the world. To just go with the flow. But God says, come out from among them. You're not going to affect those around you by being just like them. That doesn't mean you have to be weird. 
or different in a sense that draw attention to yourself. It means God wants you to be separate, holy. And sometimes because we're so full of ourselves, God can't use us. And God, who is high, brings us low so that he can lift us up. You think about Joseph. God took him from his family, allowed him to get thrown in a pit, allowed him to get put in the prison, and then he lifted him up. And God meant it for good. See, humility is a good thing. Because when we're humble, we see ourselves for who we are. And we see God for who he is. And he is a God that so loved the world that he gave his only, only begotten son whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a good God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Lord, help us. I don't want God to be absent from my life. I want God's presence. I want his provisions, his protection. Lord, thank you for for being with us, for putting up with us, for your long-suffering to us word. Lord, I really believe that if we as your children understood this matter of holiness, that holy and unholy do not belong together, that righteousness and unrighteousness do not exist together. God, we should separate, humble ourselves, And then we'll see the lost. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.